Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here, FM. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We start today's show with a sad note, the passing of a legend of uh, of late-night television, Johnny Carson, who passed away um, last Monday. We've uh, we've talked about uh, a previous host of The Tonight Show at some length on this program, uh, Jack Parr. Jack Parr handed the reins to Johnny Carson in 1962, leading to a 29-year run. Uh, and we, in, to some degree, like to pattern this program after after the, the stylings of, of Jack Parr. But we certainly were, were great fans of Johnny Carson as well, and, and really, who uh, who wasn't in America? This is a public affairs program here on, on KDVS, but uh, I think that someone like Johnny Carson transcends television, and uh, it's certainly a legitimate to, topic to talk about um, on, on this program or any other public affairs program. We're going to do that at some length um, in the future. We need to sort of collect our thoughts and we'll try and do that with our, our media correspondent, Gary Chu. I don't think we can really underestimate how sort of embedded in the American psyche Johnny Carson really was. I mean, if Johnny Carson was making fun of something in his opening monologue, I mean, uh, if you were a politician and it got to the point where you were the butt of Carson's jokes, uh, you were in deep trouble. That was very much the equivalent of finding yourself on page one of America's newspapers. I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard for me to believe that that Carson retired in May of 1992. That's almost 13 years ago. He certainly bridged a gap between uh, between uh, the old days of tel- radio and television with with comics like Jack Benny and Fred Allen. Uh, Carson often said in his show that somebody he really missed and admired was Jack Benny, and he sort of bridged the gap to the current crop of, of people we find uh, leading the charge of late night uh, comedy. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, David Letterman, uh, Jay Leno, and and, and uh, Gary Shandling. Remember, during his last couple weeks on the air, he had Shandling, Leno, and Letterman all come on, all of whom had been his designated uh, uh, substitute hosts in later years. And I remember after each one of them did a very funny comedy bit, he took them aside and said, "You know what? Got to tell you, you're my favorite." I would like to note by way of public service announcement for our listeners that uh, Johnny Carson regrettably died of emphysema, which is attributable to smoking. Uh, Carson was a very heavy smoker. In the early days of The Tonight Show, he would, you'd, be see, you'd see him with a cigarette in hand uh, as the broadcast was taking place. He eventually dropped the on-air habit when smoking on TV became frowned upon, but he remained a heavy smoker um, afterwards, had a very difficult time quitting, apparently did in the last years of his life, but it was uh, too little, too late. Something to think about to all of you out there who are addicted to 
cigarettes. Someone wrote in on MSNBC uh, on, a, on a sort of some some reflections of what uh, what he meant to various uh, various readers. I love uh, the comments of of a Steve who said, I loved it when Johnny's monologues bombed. He would get that deadpan look on his face. The piano player in the band would start to play a tap dance number, and Johnny would start tap dancing. He was a riot with his facial expressions. Late night's not been the same since. Someone named Joan wrote in and said, you know, the double takes, the I did not know that, were priceless, and noted that, uh, that uh, his golf swing will be greatly missed. A couple other obituaries I think we ought to mention during this uh, this last couple weeks. Uh, Nixon's secretary, Rosemary Woods, passed away this last week at the age of 87. Probably the most famous moment was when she fell on her sword for the boss and tried to claim that she was responsible for the famous 18-minute gap in one of the key Watergate tapes. And the, there's a famous photo of her leaning over awkwardly, explaining how she had the phone in her ear and was accidentally uh, erasing the tape. Uh, nobody really believed that. Uh, Alexander Haig uh, referred to the erasure as something done by sinister forces, and of course later studies shown that there were at least nine separate erasures on the tape, pointing the finger pretty clearly at uh, Richard Nixon himself. But by all accounts, Rosemary Woods was a competent secretary and someone that certainly knew how to keep her mouth shut when it came to protecting the boss, something that I think, you know, a lot of us, uh, a lot of us, would value a great deal in life. And one other passing that I, I would like to mention, Ruth Warwick um, passed away at age 88. She was a TV and film star. I guess she starred in later years in one of these soap operas, which I don't know much about. I want to uh, make note of her because she was the, she's the last of the main cast from Orson Welles' Citizen Kane to pass away. She played uh, Welles' wife. I talked to someone recently who had never seen Citizen Kane. I would I would like to put a plug in for our listeners. If if you're in, in that category, uh, this is certainly one that is worth renting. Ruth Warwick has uh, one of the one of the many many memorable scenes in the movie where uh, where as Wells as um, as Charles Foster Kane, the newspaper magnate uh, who is um, patterned very much after William Randolph Hearst, is aging in years. Every morning they show him reading the paper. And his wife is sort of nagging him, like, Charles, what will people think? And at one point he looks at her and says, what I tell them to think. We uh, we have a certain sympathy for uh, Orson Welles because, uh, you know, at age 25, he produces this cinematic masterpiece, Citizen Kane. But, of course, in patterning uh, the main character after William Randolph Hearst, himself an extremely powerful publisher, uh, he more or less made sure that he wasn't going to win the Oscar. Hearst worked very hard to make sure that Citizen Kane, considered one of filmdom's great uh, movies, if not, you know, it, it makes virtually every list near the top of great films ever made, did not win the Oscar that year. It went to How Green Was My Valley, largely because of the lobbying of Hearst. There's a price to be paid for angering the powerful. Uh, Orson Welles paid it. And we've talked about a lot of people. We're very sympathetic to people, particularly in journalism, who have paid a price for the stories they've been willing to uh, bring to the public. And, uh, you know, Citizen Kane was another example of that. All right. On last week's program, we did a little satirical bit visiting uh, Baghdad uh, with our, our Iraqi correspondent, Crazy Eddie Chalabi. I sort of thought it was funny that... Uh, 
we were having a little fun with this uh, rather serious issue of how the Humvees over in Iraq are inadequately armored. There was a, uh, a headline I had to, to, to laugh at in, I guess, a dark way. Monday, January 24th, Sacramento Bee, a reprint from Denny Hakim, New York Times. Army looking to replace slow, comma, plodding Humvees. Can't you just see this new Humvee dealership that's going to open in, in Sacramento in April? I imagine this is going to feature prominently in their advertisement. Come in and get a Hummer, that slow, comma, plodding vehicle that the U.S. Army is desperately seeking to replace. Okay, let's look at some current events here, as we as we often like to do at the start of the program. Um, there was an art- I don't know whether you caught this article from last week. Dateline Chicago, the driver of the Dave Matthews Band tour bus was charged last week with dumping 800 pounds of human waste onto a sightseeing boat on the Chicago River last summer. Stefan Wall has been charged with misdemeanor counts of reckless conduct and discharging contaminants to cause water pollution. Now, apparently the story is this guy's driving alone on the Dave Matthews tour bus, and, uh, of course, he has a septic tank to empty. Apparently gets the idea, I know, as I go over this bridge with metal grates, I'll just let out the uh, the sewage. So as the waste pours out onto the uh, metal grates of the bridge, it then falls through the grates and directly onto the open deck of the Chicago's Little Lady tour boat, which happened to be passing below at that moment with more than 100 people on board. Ooh, bad deal. They noted in the article that calls to Wool's attorney were not immediately returned. At some length in this program about uh, exit polling, and uh, I wanted to bring to you the, the news that that exit poll that uh, revealed the Ukrainian election to have been rather suspicious, apparently is affiliated with a group headed by some of America's neocons, uh, who apparently didn't like the idea of a pro-Russian election taking place. And so in that case, they decided that the the exit polling needed to be uh, brought onto page one. There's more to that story of what's going on in the Ukraine. We're going to try and take a look at that. I did note that on January 20th, There was an article from New York saying that uh, the research firms that designed the $10 million polling system used by news organizations during last year's presidential election have concluded that the system erroneously showed John Kerry to be leading the race, not because of a technological breakdown, because of more human variables. These include the relative youth of the pollsters, who are more successful, they say, in securing interviews with supporters of Kerry than those of the actual winner, President Bush. They note that half of those who worked on the election election day were 34 or younger, implying that the reason that all of these nationwide polls with rather startling uh, statistical significance showed that John Kerry was going to win on election day were wrong, and their excuse is, well, the people asking the question were just too youthful. If you accept this explanation, I would like you to contact Radio Parallax straight away. We have some real estate deals that we should conduct promptly, one of which involves the Brooklyn Bridge. All right, from uh, from the Week magazine's Only in America file, and I have to subtitle this, Is This a Great Country or What? Dateline, Long Island, New York. Two men were arrested for telling lawyer jokes 
outside a New York courthouse. The men, founders of a group called Americans for Legal Reform, were entertaining a line of people waiting to get in the building with gags such as, what's the difference between a vulture and a lawyer? Answer, wingtips. A man behind them in line said, shut up, I'm a lawyer. But the pair kept up the jokes. Court officers then arrested them, put them in handcuffs, and charged them with disorderly conduct. I guess we're now living in a country where certain lawyers feel that uh, their personal uh, feelings take precedence over the First Amendment. And again, if you've been watching what's going on in this country the past few years, that might not come as a surprise. And here's a headline to wake you up. High Court Expands Policed Search Powers from last Tuesday's B. The Supreme Court, by a 6-2 vote, decided that uh, narcotics-sniffing dogs brought out on a routine traffic stop just to give your car a sniff-over is not unreasonable search and seizure, as long as it doesn't take too long for the dog to do its work. Writing for the majority, John Paul Stevens said, A dog sniff that reveals no information other than a substance that no individual has any right to possess does not violate the Fourth Amendment. Writing for the two dissenters, which were uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and David Souter, Justice Ginsburg wrote, Every traffic stop could become an occasion to call in the dogs to the distress and embarrassment of the law-abiding population. Article from the V, January 20th. Apparently, San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom slipped in and out of the Capitol just before the second Bush inaugural. This was an event that uh, prompted many in his own party to uh, approach him and say, it's nice to meet the mayor who elected George Bush. Newsom was in town for a, a meeting of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, where he was attempting to lobby, uh, lobby on Capitol Hill for some of the city's pet uh, projects. Gavin Newsom has brushed aside... Uh, Criticism that the publicity surrounding his decision to permit more than 4,000 same-sex couples to wed last February and March contributed to the Republican incumbent's victory in November by sparking an enthusiastic turnout of conservatives. Asked whether he had any second thoughts about it, Newsom replied, none, zip, not a hesitation. In spite of the fact that he then mentioned that a lot of Democratic mayors come up to him and say, yes, nice to meet the mayor who elected George Bush. He then said, no sooner did they say that, then I bring up other issues. Newsom said he is not convinced that Bush is serious about foregoing another effort to pass a federal constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage, a statement the president made in an interview the week before. I feel he's suspect. I'm not convinced, said Newsom, but it's also an acknowledgement of the lack of support that exists in Congress. Well, on this program, uh, we we believe uh, quite strongly that it would have been smart politically to have not made gay marriage an issue in an election year. And um, the studies all seem to show that Bush supporters turned out in droves in a lot of key states with these family value type issues being on the, on, on the front burner for them. Not a good move. All right, an article from Science. We want to do some science on today's show. An article I've been sitting on for weeks that I have to get to, I think, today. comes from um, the Year in Review from Discover Magazine, their January issue. Let's just quote from it. Uh, to see what's wrong with the American diet, look no further than the local convenience store. There, 
punctuated by the occasional basket of bananas or apples, sits gleaming cases of soft drinks and beer, wide shelves of crackers and cookies, a panorama of muffins, donuts, brownies, ice cream, and candy bars. The marketers here are no fools. They know what scientists confirmed only this past spring. Americans are eating this stuff up. Study done of 4,700 adults at UC Berkeley found that soft drinks provide more than 7% of the average daily adult intake of calories in this country, making it the single largest source. Add together soft drinks, alcohol, and sweets, including pastries, and you've accounted for more than 25% of adult Americans' calories. Add fruit drinks and salty snacks, and you're up to 30%, almost one-third of our calories coming from junk food and alcohol. Apparently, even jaded nutritionists uh, were really taken aback by this study. The dose really does make the poison, says epidemiologist Gladys Block, the study's lead author. We knew that people ate a lot of this stuff, but that much? They point out that not only do these foods fuel the nation's obesity epidemic, but they're displacing nutrient-rich fruits and vegetables necessary to fend off disease. The result is an unappetizing paradox, a nation of people simultaneously overfed and undernourished. They noted the conclusion of the article that under pressure from food manufacturers, health officials have hesitated to demonize particular foods as junk and instead proffer general advice about good nutrition. You know, you've heard this. Well, if you don't eat very much of it, it's okay. Something that, uh, a logic that I think I succumb to once in a while. I think a lot of us succumb to this. Uh, It's time to take note. Probably should be reaching for more apples and uh, fewer Hostess cupcakes. I would like to also cite a medical journal, the Cortland Forum. An article in there about a study of 91,000 female nurses conducted over eight years, which uncovered a positive association between sugar-sweetened beverages and both weight gain and the risk of type 2 diabetes. Now, uh, apparently a greater consumption of soda and sugar drinks was linked to diabetes, whether the women were obese or not, and whether they were physically active or not. Fruit punch, too, was linked to a doubled risk of diabetes, whereas 100% fruit juices were not. Predictably, these findings were attacked by the American Beverage Association, which said that neither Sugar intake nor soft drink consumption is considered a risk factor for type 2 diabetes by the American Diabetes Association. Well, perhaps that was before this study came out. In in a Wall Street Journal uh, editorial, Caroline Apovian, an MD, endocrinologist from Boston University, called this study strong science and scientifically sound, adding that soft drinks are contributing 7.1% of the total energy intake in this country, And again, citing what we mentioned just before, these comprise the largest single source of calories in the U.S. diet. And speaking of food, we had Chef Martin Yan on the program a few weeks ago. Martin Yan, of course, the distinguished PBS chef, is a UC Davis food science graduate. He said at the end of our interview that he would be happy to wash the dishes of Madeline, uh, Madeline Kennefick, whose program Cooking with Madeline airs every Thursday morning on this same station. We thought we'd get a comment from Madeline on that that uh, remarkable offer. Madeline, are you there? It is a remarkable offer. <laughs> he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. I um, I think he must have me confused with Madeline. Come on, the great uh, nope. cooking teacher. I'm sure he has no idea who I am. Oh no, he was quite clear. We explained it to him, and he said he would be delighted. So you need to, you need to follow up with him, see if you can get him on your show. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun, actually. Um, 
Uh, we've never done a, a Chinese cooking show. I mean, uh, that'd be the time has come, and I'm studying Mandarin and going to China. Well, there you go. So it's perfect. You can tell me where to go to eat and what to eat. So that was a good show that you did. I listened with great interest. It was fun hearing you ask the right questions. Well, thank you for that, because as you know, I'm a complete incompetent in the art of cooking. No, I doubt that. I, I doubt that. Um, oh, I, it's I will true. tell you that we had a guest on who was so wonderful. She wrote a book called Molly Stevens. She wrote a book called uh, All About Braising. And I uh, had her uh, read a paragraph which was just directed to people like you who are perhaps lacking in confidence or, or starting out or whatever. And uh, she said that all you have to do is cook. Cook for friends, cook for family, cook when you're alone. Just keep cooking, and you can't help but get good at it. It's like anything else. It's like how you get to Carnegie it. Hall. Practice, practice, exactly. practice. Exactly, exactly. Well, Madeline, you got anything coming up for us next week on the show? We're going to do a show on the, the food, um, the new food pyramid, uh, which is about... Oh. Could be made better, perhaps. Yeah. And also, we are going to talk about meat, how to cook the best steaks, how to dry age your own steak in the fridge. Should be fun. All right. Well, Madeline, I'm, we'll, we'll make a point to tune in and. Uh, well, thank you. And, very much. and don't be a stranger. Well, we'll have to cook together sometime. You have some getting over this lack of confidence to do, because I have a feeling you're you're probably quite a good cook, and you just don't think you are because you don't cook enough. Well, you you can ask my friends whether that lack of confidence is deserved. We'll we'll see about that. (laughs) Okay, I'll let you cook for me. How's that? All right, Madeline. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS, 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm your host, Douglas Aaron, and we'll be right back after a couple of messages. 